Welcome to episode 13 of Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. Today we will cover Latvia in general, Riga in particular, and then the history of the Jews in both the capital Riga and the country of Latvia. I admit to a strong bias in the sense that I think Riga is one of the most beautiful cities in Europe. It deserves to be much better known among Americans than it is. It has the biggest collection of Art Nouveau buildings in the world, and that is not unrelated to the history of its own Jewish population. Latvia was originally settled by an ancient people known as the Balts. In the 9th century, the Balts came under the overlordship of the Vikings, but a more lasting dominance was established over them by their German-speaking neighbors to the west, who, as you may remember from one or two episodes ago, Christianized the entire region during the 12th and 13th centuries in the Great Northern Crusades. The Knights of the Sword, who merged with the German Knights of the Teutonic Order in 1237, had conquered all of Latvia by 1230, and German overlordship of this area continued for at least three centuries with a German land-owning class ruling over an enserfed, basically enslaved Latin peasantry. From the middle of the 16th century to the beginning of the 18th century, Latvia was partitioned between Poland and Sweden. But by the end of the 18th century, all of Latvia had been annexed by expansionist Russia and found itself as part of the growing Russian Empire. Now, in contradistinction to the history of Lat- of Lithuania, sorry, which we talked about in the last episode, Latvia was never a large, powerful political power in the region, and certainly not to the extent that Lithuania was on its own, and even less so than the extent to which Lithuania was a regional power in conjunction with the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. From the time that Russia won the Great Northern Wars and established control over all of Latvia, German landowners managed to retain their influence in Latvia, but indigenous Latvian nationalism grew rapidly early in the 20th century. Following the Russian Revolution of 1917, Latvia declared its independence on November 8, 1918, and after a confused period of infighting, the new nation was recognized both by the Soviet Union and by Germany in 1920. So from 1920 until 1934, Latvia was governed by a series of democratic coalitions. But in 1934, autocratic rule was established under President Ulmanis. That lasted until 1939, when Latvia was forced to grant military bases on its soil to the Soviet Union. And ultimately, in 1940, the Soviet Red Army moved into Latvia, and Latvia soon found itself incorporated into the Soviet Union. Now, you may recall from two episodes ago that the United States never recognized the forcible and, in our eyes, illegal occupation of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania by the Soviet Union. So from this period in 1940 until Latvia regained its independence, 
much later in the 20th century, all three countries maintained diplomatic missions and representations, not only in Washington, but in several other Western capitals as well. Nazi Germany invaded and controlled Latvia from 1941 to 1944, when it was retaken by the Red Army. After the war, Latvia's farms were forcibly collectivized in 1949, and its flourishing economy was integrated into that of the Soviet Union to its own detriment. But that being said, Latvia remained one of the most prosperous and highly industrialized parts of the Soviet Union, and its people retained strong memories of their brief 20-year period of independence. Its prosperity also made it an attractive destination for people from other parts of the Soviet Union to move to. So the percentage of ethnic Latvians in Riga went down during the Soviet occupation from 80% to barely 50%. And the percentage of other ethnicities from the Soviet Union, mostly Slavic ethnicities, rose dramatically. When Gorbachev began his liberalization of the Soviet Union in the 1980s, Latvians began seeking a restoration of their own independence. They first submitted this demand to Moscow in May of 1990, and they finally achieved full independence from the Soviet Union on August 21st, 1991. This process of regaining independence was not an entirely smooth process. The first non-officially staged political gatherings in Latvia since the war took place on the subject of environmental questions in 1987. In 1988, the Latvian Popular Front emerged in opposition to the ruling establishment and triumphed in the elections of 1990. So on May 4th of 1990, the Latvian legislature passed a declaration on the renewal of independence. A period of transition was provided, but the Soviets made efforts to restore the earlier situation, and those efforts culminated in violence in Riga in the winter between 1990 and 1991. Then finally, in the aftermath of the failed coup in Moscow in August of the same year, the Latvian legislature declared full independence. Now turning to Riga more particularly, it emerged through a very ancient settlement, but not really a permanent city, that emerged as a trading outpost late in the 1100s. The river that divides Latvia into half flows into the Baltic Sea about five miles away from Riga. So it was a desirable location, and a city was founded there in 1201, which immediately became the seat of a bishopric, and then in 1253, an archbishopric. And it was a base for conquering the rest of Latvia by the Christian Germans. So Riga joined the Hanseatic League, which we talked about several episodes ago, in 1282, and then became the dominant center of trade on the entire eastern shore of the Baltic Sea. The Reformation gained a foothold in Riga in the 1520s, and the Livonian Order, as well as the Livonian Confederation, were dissolved in 1561. The huge and impressive central cathedral of Riga, which was initially built, obviously, as a Catholic church, became a Protestant church, 
which didn't prevent the Pope from addressing the public there in that church the last time I led a tour group through Riga. It was quite an impressive spectacle. Briefly, Riga was an independent city-state in the 16th century, but it was passed to Poland in 1581, captured by Sweden in 1621, and then taken by Peter the Great in the Great Northern Wars, with Sweden formally ceding the city to Russia in a peace treaty signed in 1721. Riga's German-speaking nobles and merchants retained local privileges under all of the monarchies mentioned above. No matter who ruled it, the Germans were really in charge of business and the courts and all of that. In the late 18th century, the city was a haven of enlightenment thoughts with all kinds of enlightenment thinkers being published in Latvian in Riga. Thinkers like Rousseau and Kant and others. The population of Riga grew exponentially in the 1800s, spurred by, first of all, the abolition of serfdom in two important chunks of Latvian territory in 1817 and 1819, as well as the expansion of the railroads, as well as a tremendous growth in manufacturing and factories there eventually produced railroad cars, electric appliances, chemicals, and from the very beginning of the 1900s, automobiles and airplanes. The removal of Riga's medieval fortress walls began in 1857 to speed business and to build a railroad bridge across the Daugava River that divides the city in two. And it was these railroads that made it possible for Latvians to travel easily anywhere from the countryside to Riga for the first Latvian National Song Festival organized in 1873. The telegraph introduced in 1852, the telephone in 1882, gas works in 1862, and a centralized electric supply in 1905 all improved the quality of life for Rigans. On the eve of World War I, Riga was the Russian Empire's third largest city, with a population in excess of half a million. From 1915 to 1917, however, one of the war's front lines lay along this river, resulting in heavy damage on both sides. Hundreds of thousands of Latvians were relocated into Russia, and 400 factories were evacuated with all their machinery into the Russian heartland, and none of that was ever seen again. Now, during the Nazi occupation from 1941 to 1944, Riga was made by the Nazis into an administrative capital of the province they called Ostland, the Eastern Lands, which was a province encompassing what are today Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Belarus. More than 25,000 of Riga's Jews were imprisoned in the Rigo ghetto and shot in the forest just outside the city and buried in mass graves at the end of November and the beginning of December of 1941. Now let's turn to a slightly more cheerful subject. Why is Riga such a beautiful city? Well, for one thing, the entire historic center is pedestrians only, and the only vehicles that are allowed to drive very slowly on these cobblestone streets are taxis taking tourists to hotels, and the private cars of people who live in the historic center. But more and more, the real estate in the historic center is so valuable that 
nobody, virtually nobody actually lives there. There are restaurants, there are shops, there are boutique hotels, there are embassies, but there are very few private residences left. There are, however, many medieval buildings, among them the 13th century cathedral that I mentioned earlier, the 14th century Riga castle that was built in 1330, and many old merchants' homes and warehouses. The canal around the city's old town was the moat of the fortress, and the city has more Art Nouveau buildings than any other city in Europe, including cities that you would expect to be the champion, like Prague or Vienna. Riga far exceeds them. One of the most remarkable things about this concentration of Art Nouveau architecture, which is mostly but not entirely in the city center, is that the vast majority of Riga's Art Nouveau buildings were built between 1904 and 1914, a single decade before World War I, when new prosperity had to find an outlet. And one of the outlets was building extremely beautiful buildings. And most of these buildings were designed by a handful of architects, including ethnic Latvians, but not exclusively, because there were two very famous architects who were clearly Jewish and made no effort to hide it, Mikhail Eisenstein and Paul Mandelstam. Uh, There were also Baltic Germans and maybe even some ethnic Russians. But a significant number of these buildings were designed by two Jewish architects. So it's not an exaggeration to say that the look of Riga today and what people remember about Riga was shaped and heavily influenced by two Jewish architects. So what's the situation of Jews in Riga today or in Latvia in general? Well, short answer is that Latvia has approximately 10,000 Jews, which is the largest population of Jews in the three Baltic states. The capital of Riga, is the most important center of Jewish life with the vast majority of this 10,000 people. There are communities of a few hundred in three smaller towns, and in another half dozen smaller towns, there are communities of like two, three dozen people at the most. Jews first came to Latvia in the second half of the 16th century, mostly from Germany, and they were rather well-educated and rather wealthy. The first Jewish community was officially organized in 1571 when Jews were allowed to purchase property and build homes and synagogues. The first Jews came to the eastern Latvian regions from western Ukraine and Belarus about a century later. And those people were Yiddish speakers. And in comparison to the German-speaking Jews who came from the west, they were poorer, less educated, and also much more religious. The Jews of Riga were not even allowed to organize a community until the end of 1841, and political rights, such as the right to own property, were granted much later, at the very end of the 19th century. The positive contribution of the Jewish community to the swift development of industry, trade, and prosperity in Latvia during the second half of the 19th century cannot be overstated. At the same time, and perhaps as a backlash to this highly visible profile, a wave of anti-Semitism caused many Latvian Jews to emigrate, mostly to the U.S., Great Britain, and South Africa. 
Those who resettled in Palestine founded one of the first big Jewish communities in the land of Israel, the town of Hadera. During World War I, roughly 130,000 out of almost 190,000 Jews who lived in Latvia fled the country. Less than half of those who fled eventually returned after World War I. During the brief independence of Latvia in the 20s and 30s, the Jewish community flourished with a broad network of schools and other institutions. On the eve of the Holocaust, there were about 93,000 Jews in Latvia, of whom roughly half were in Riga. Immediately following the German invasion in July of 41, tens of thousands of Jews were murdered, mostly very nearby and often with the participation of local collaborators. There is a very stark sort of Holocaust museum in Riga that is not very big. It's extremely moving and almost shocking. After the end of World War II, Holocaust survivors, as well as those who were conscripted to the Soviet army or who came from other regions of the Soviet Union to relocate to post-war Latvia for greater prosperity. Latvia became one of the major centers of Jewish underground national and Zionist movements in the entire Soviet Union. Almost one-third of the community emigrated to Israel between 1970 and 1989, when Latvia finally became independent. Jewish community life was reestablished in the late 80s with the political and social liberalization under Gorbachev, and the Latvian Society of Jewish Culture was established in 1988 and later transformed into the official Riga Jewish community. Finally, the community today in Riga is served by two Jewish kindergartens and schools, the municipal Shimon Dubnov School, which has about 250 students, and the Chabad Lubavitch School, which has about 75 students. One of the priorities of the Council of Jewish Communities in Latvia is the support of high-quality education for children. And in 1998, a Center for Judaic Studies was established at the University of Latvia, which provides courses for students and since 1995 hosts a regular scientific conference called Jews in the Changing World. Finally, I would note that apart from the Holocaust Museum I mentioned earlier, there is a state-sponsored museum called the Jews in Latvia in Riga and satellite museums in two smaller Jewish communities. There's clearly an awareness of the importance that Jews played in the history of Latvia. And today, although most Jews in Latvia are non-observant, in both Riga and Dagovpils, the historic synagogues are operating with discrete religious activities in other localities. And for those of you who are interested in such things, you can find kosher food in Riga. So I look forward to talking with you again in the very near future and hope you've learned something about Riga in particular and Latvia in general. Thank you.